Good evening, I am Pastor Anthony, and I apologize for being colder in here than normal. Our heater just decided to stop, just quit. So, I mean, it happens. Uh, just think about how you wish it was this temperature in this building in August. Yeah. <laughs> the temperature actually is in this building in August, and suddenly it'll be like a ray of sunshine shining down on you. Well, let me start first by explaining our title slide, as I have to do every week, because our series is called Grace Canon. Why in the world is it called Grace Canon? As I've said before, it's because of me, this guy. I'm a nerd, and I'm on staff, which means I have some influence. And uh, we wanted to talk about how God displays His grace in specific books of the Bible. What do we call all the books of the Bible? It's called the canon of Scripture. So I'm like, it's like a grace canon. And I wanted to have the slide be like a big circus canon with all the apostles and prophets in it, like ready to go. That got ditched, but I did get this. So there you go. That's the explanation. We're talking about God's grace as it's specifically shown in specific books of the Bible. Or multiple books. You know, I'm not going to say who it was that decided that grace in the books of Paul was a good idea in one sermon. Can I make this point of order? Oh, it is being super finicky. I need somebody to... Oh, no way. So I had to click it like that? Okay. So be it. Alright, grace in Paul. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Next slide. It's the funny one. There we go. But I will say that Pastor Jimmy and I are trying to do our best. Alright? And Pastor Mark is very happy. So, grace in the books of Paul. Paul talks about grace so much, I don't think it would be possible to try to explain it without an analogy. So I'm going to open up with an analogy. First one that does not help at all. Here's, a, a, here's a, a worthless one. Okay? Some clever poet decided to write, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Thanks for nothing. What did that just tell me? Appreciate it. Let's define terms, and then let's use a good analogy. Here we go. This is from a guy named Millard Erickson, who has an awesome name and also wrote the, the systematic theology book we used in seminary. Here is a scholarly definition of grace that's really good. By grace, we mean that God deals with his people. That's us. Somebody say us. 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 Not on the basis of their merit or worthiness, which would mean he would deal with us according to what we deserve. Who's been in church long enough to know what we deserve? Do we want that? No. no. We're grateful for grace. But simply, God deals with us according to our need. This grace is to be distinguished from God's benevolence. That's like just his good naturedliness. Because it isn't just that God's in heaven thinking good thoughts about you. It's not that you're down on earth, you know, struggling to make it through life and everything's hard. But take heart. God's up in heaven busy liking you. That's not exactly grace. Grace means that God supplies us with undeserved favors. Not just undeserved deserved favor, which is true. He does like you. He does think fond and benevolent thoughts towards you. But that shows up in something. Right? He does something with that. Grace is not intangible. Grace is something you can hold. Bad analogy. Good analogy. We're going to use the analogy. It's kind of grim, but follow me on this. Of a trench warfare. 
All right? If you're in World War I, we've got a very sad-looking painting here of a man sitting in a bunk in a trench. And it occurs to me that sometimes life, if you haven't had a life that has seemed like a trench war at some point, you have been very blessed. And you need to thank the Lord. Many of us have had life feel like a symbolic trench war, some of us for several years. It's just hard. Nothing is comfortable, and we're wondering when it will be over. But I'm going to make the argument that by analogy, this guy is surrounded by grace. If we were thinking of Paul's idea of grace, then pretty much everything you can see in this picture would be grace. The gun would be grace. The bullets to use the gun would be grace. All of the gear that he has would be an expression of, of grace. His fellow soldiers to fight with him would be an expression of grace. The bunk he has to sleep on would be an expression of grace. And the trench itself that keeps him somewhat safe and gives him a position to attack would also be grace. But not only that, but if we're going to stretch the analogy even more, all the things you can't see that are in this photo would be grace. The soldier's will to keep fighting is grace. Come on, Flicker, don't betray me. This is a good one. Justin, could you be the next guy? Thank you. Next. Haha, there we go. Like magic. His will to keep going would be an expression of grace. The training that he received to know how to do what he does is grace. Any encouragement that he might receive would be grace. The orders he received that tells him what to do and where to go and gives him purpose and direction would be an expression of grace. Any protection, whether he sees it and knows about it or not, would be an expression of grace. And I would argue, and we're going to we're going to talk about this a little more later, that even his instincts would be an expression of grace. Why did you duck? Why did you run over there? Why did you, how did you know to do that just then? It's just my battle instincts, man. No, it's grace. Let's unpack it. First, we're going to, we're going to do a, thank you, Justin. We're going to do kind of a salvation progression thing. Because I, I had to make this somewhat linear to just not have it be a bunch of verses with a bunch of headings. All right, so we're going to start before the beginning, and then we're going to come up to now. By grace, in the book of Paul, God chose to save you. Next slide. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him when? Before. Before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace. What Paul is saying here in Ephesians 1, 3-6, is that God displayed his grace in you before there was a you. God was displaying his grace to you before there was a world. And I don't care if you're one of our Calvinist brothers, I love them, or an Armenian, or somebody who doesn't know what they are. We all want to talk about what does predestined mean? What does he foreknew mean? I can tell you for sure what it means without arguing about anything. That if you know the Lord, he was thinking graciously and acting in grace towards you before the world began. No matter what your theology says, that's just true. So it started before everything else started. Before everything else, there was grace. And then, not only did he want to save you, that's grace. Grace made salvation possible. Next slide, please. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now hold on just a second. There's more to this verse, and I'll, I'll get a reference. I did forget a reference in this slideshow. I'm kicking myself now, but it's fine. We'll get to it. So Paul is talking about what the Gospels talk about, right? Jesus came and gave his life to pave the way for our salvation. But I want to make the point that he says, this grace is something that we stand in. Stick figure man, please. Behold you. If this red guy represents all of us, grace, next slide, would actually be your location in Paul's theology. It's not so much that God is, is giving you grace. He definitely is. He's thinking good thoughts towards you. He's showing those good thoughts by giving you tangible things. But inside that graciousness of God, that is where you are. You exist there in Paul. It's like a place that you exist. It's, it's really kind of neat. Next slide, please. Let's continue. Oh. Wow. This new clicker is brought to you by New Day Community Church. <laughs> Serving all your needs. Brilliant. All right. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, since we have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That's Romans 5, 1 to 2, and 9 to 10. I'm always going to read more scripture than is necessary to make the point. Because we need context, and I want to hear as much Paul as possible. All right. So, God shows his grace before there's a you and before there's anything else, because he wants to save you. Then, God shows his grace by giving himself dying and paving the way for your salvation. Then in the book of Paul and the books of Paul, there are many. God shows his grace also by calling you into the salvation that he has predetermined should happen and has paved the way for it. This is 2 Timothy 1 9 to 10. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, that's the unmerited part but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. He makes the point again. God didn't change his mind. He was never mean once and then nice all of a sudden. He's always been gracious. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light. Through the gospel. Are we seeing how all-inclusive grace is in the book of Paul? It's almost ridiculous, right? Grace is there before time. Grace makes the way for your salvation because it already wanted to save you. Then it calls you into the salvation that it's prepared. And then, should be no surprise, grace actually does the saving. The Bible talks about salvation in so many awesome terms. In Colossians, it talks about how we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I mean, there's this grand imagery. How did that happen? Deep sigh. Everyone stared. <laughs> Sorry, no. Love you, man. How did it happen? It happens by grace. Ephesians 2, 3 to 7. We were by nature, that means the way we are normally, deserving of wrath. Whose wrath? God's. God's wrath. 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. We preached on this a few weeks ago. You don't deserve it. You're dead. You're his enemy. Why in the world would God do this for you when everything that you deserve is wrath and judgment and condemnation? Well, it only makes sense if the Bible is actually a love story and if God is full of mercy and grace. For by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he could show up. He might show the incomparable (laughs) riches of his grace. True, when you got you to do that. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Are we getting the picture of the ridiculous scope of grace? Grace was the thing that wanted to save you before there were any things. Grace is the thing that made the salvation possible through the incredible sacrifice and death of Jesus. Then grace is the thing that calls you, gives that uh, Mount, who wrote the expository I have, he says, this is the internal call of the gospel, that feeling you have that draws you, that makes you want to respond. That's grace too. And then once you respond, grace does the saving. And then once you're saved, what does this say? That you're dead and God brings you to life. That's regeneration. That's, that's taking something that is bad and nasty and rotten and dead and making it a new thing that's alive. Well, according to Paul, guess what? That's grace too. Grace does the regenerating. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. I'm cheating. Just realize that's the same verse. That's Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. That was on the last slide. I'm not going to double dip. We're going to give you more good verses on, uh, on regeneration. Here's Colossians 3.10. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He doesn't mention grace here, but he already said it was grace, right? Mm-hmm. Now he's saying, look, you're putting on the new self. This new self is getting better and better all the time in the knowledge of its creator. Let's use my magic button to shrink that and pop it up and give another one. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.17. Man, I had this written on a 3 by 5 card in my pocket. When I gave my life back to the Lord, because I needed to know it. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And what has happened to the old? It's gone. gone, And the new is here. How is it possible that the old dead thing is gone? How is it possible that this guy back in the day, when I was doing things I was ashamed of a week ago, how can I not feel bad about that? How can I draw any sort of separation? Like I'm surrounded by the people who were partying with me. Three by five card comes out. Grace. Because by grace I've been saved and the old dead thing is gone. The new creation has come. I'm putting on the new man. It's ridiculous almost. Grace is there before anything. Grace makes the way for salvation. Grace accomplishes the salvation. Grace calls you into the salvation. Grace regenerates you. Could grace possibly do anything else? Well, obviously it's only five to eight, man. I've got plenty of time. Grace does lots of stuff. <laughs> Seminary term here, pay attention. Grace equips us to do salvation-y things. <laughs> so, sometimes they're constrained by font size and the, the heading is only so long. Give me grace. Grace. Okay, salvation-y things. That was so cheesy. Here's the one I forgot the reference for, but this is in 1 Corinthians 12. Alright? This is talking about the spiritual gifts. And this is interesting. 
Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul's writing to the Corinthians and says, There are different kinds of gifts. Somebody say gifts. Gifts. But the same Spirit distributes them. There are many different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. In everyone, it is the same God at work. That means nobody's left out. Everybody gets a gift. All right? Now to each one, again, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You might think, that's nice, but this is a message on grace, you big cheater. Here's the interesting thing. That word for gifts in the Greek is charisma. Charisma is the word for grace. Grace is a type of gift. Amen. Paul is saying... God is giving you, He's by grace, he's giving you these grace gifts so that you can use them to be gracious to everyone else. He's giving you these gifts for the common good. We're going to do a whole series on this. But it talks about the grace. I'm going to say grace instead of gifts because that's what it is. The grace of encouragement. Do you love talking to people that have the grace of encouragement? Yes. Yeah, man. When you talk to them, do they give you the grace of encouragement? So we get a grace to give grace to other people. But whose grace is it? It's God's grace. There's one spirit who's giving the grace to all of us so that we can give it to each other. Man, I'm not going to go deep into this. You can read about it in Romans 12, and you can read about it in 1 Corinthians 12. But the gifts that we have to help each other, to lift each other up, to make the Christian community better, and really to go out into the world and be salt and light and make everything around us just better and more godly, Those things are all grace. That's what you do because God wanted to save you before there was anything, paved the way for salvation, accomplished the salvation, called you into the salvation, regenerated you, and then accomplished all this cool stuff through grace. Next. Grace not only does all of that, and believe it or not, I left some stuff out. It's it's kind of amazing. It's all-encompassing. Literally all-encompassing. Grace gives us the desire to act. Those things that you've been equipped to do by the Spirit, God is going to make you want to do them. This is why people talk to me and they're like, well, how can you be a Christian? Christian, isn't it hard to be a Christian? You have to do all that christian stuff. I'm like, well, you don't understand grace, man. Not only does God save you and regenerate you and make you new and bring you to life, but you enjoy doing those salvation-y things. You love it. You know what I mean? Here's what Paul says in Philippians 2.13. I don't think this verse gets enough press. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. To will. That means to want to. Uh And then to do it. That is why I put instincts on the bottom of the list. Because if this guy's just going through his daily life and he gets a hunch that he ought to do something and then he does it and it turns out to be really good, how much was that really him? God is giving us the grace to will and to act. As if it couldn't get any better. And I'm going to cheat because I'm going to use a Hebrews reference. We're not sure who wrote Hebrews. My money's on Paul just because it's a great conclusion. (laughs) By grace, God encourages us to come to him to get more 
grace. Yeah. As if it could get better. Here we go. <laughs> Hebrews 4, 15 yeah. to 16. He, now, Paul, I believe it's Paul, is telling people about the kind of God they're serving when they serve Jesus. He's like, this is not a harsh taskmaster, guys. Get a reminder on this. Here we go. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Why would we approach God's throne of grace with confidence? Well, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's crazy. I don't know another way to say it. It's, it's, before there was anything, there was God's grace. Amen. And he desired to be gracious to you. So he came and he paved the way for salvation in grace. Then once that way is made, he calls you into that salvation by grace. Once you respond by grace, you're saved by grace. You're regenerated by grace. Then once you're regenerated and you're this new thing that's full of life, you're given grace gifts to hang out, to hand out to people by grace. And then he gives you the will to want to do that by grace. And then if you still need more grace, you need to know that that's available and you don't have to stand in line. You can come before Amen. the throne of grace Amen. confidently. Amen. So maybe this is a great analogy. And maybe now that we've said all that, we know that the poet said more than we thought at first. Wow. Maybe he was more steeped in grace than we gave him credit for. Indeed, in Paul, if we're going to compare grace to an ocean, we are all sinking. Wow. I was praying before service, and I thought, how do I, how do I conclude this? I, I, I frequently ask the Lord, I'm like, I made this sermon. Now, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> you know, like, I got a bunch of good things. Now, what am I supposed to say? You know what I mean? And uh, <clears throat> I felt like the Lord said, hey, this is what I want to do. Once people understand how pervasive this is, once people understand they're swimming in my grace, yeah. I want to attack pride and I want to attack stress. So here's how we're going to attack pride, okay? I achieved some pretty big goals in the gym this week. I like to work out. I'm just not bragging. That would make the opposite point, okay? <laughs> you know, and I've wanted to do what I did this week for years, at least five years, right? Mm -hmm. Is this true? This is true. Now, I can be really happy about that, but I cannot be arrogant about that. I don't have the right. Right. All right? Because I went there, and I worked at it hard four or five days a week, sometimes twice a day. So I can say, yeah, I did that, but you guys really want to know why I did that? I did that because I love to do it. And I didn't pick to love to do it. I just love to do it. You know, so I don't get to be arrogant about that. And you know how I knew how to do it? I knew how to do it because this lady was working in gyms my whole life. And she taught me to work out since I was 12. I didn't pick that. And you know, I also have genetics that are pretty good for picking up heavy things and putting them down. Not so good for basketball but good for picking up heavy things and putting them down. There was never a point in which I chose those genetics. So I don't have the right to be arrogant. And shame on me if I am. By realizing that all of those things that helped me accomplish that goal were grace, I'm suddenly left wondering what in fact I did do, other than put my shoes on and go. But I can still be happy about it. 
but I can't be prideful about it. And so today, I think the Lord wants to say, look, you are so surrounded by grace. Just this, if there's a pride dandelion in your yard, you know, they keep coming back, right, every spring. You've got to take good care of that lawn. Let God into your lawn. Let him pluck the dandelions of pride. If there's an area in your life where you're saying, I did that, that was me, and I want the credit, we need to take a step back and let God reveal the fact that, no, 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 so much of that was grace, you just don't even understand. All right? You can be happy about it. We don't have the right to be arrogant about anything. And the stress thing is the opposite side of the same coin. If you're going through life and you think, I've got to. It's all on me. It's on my shoulders. I've got to produce. I hope I have what it takes. I need to meet these deadlines. I need to be at this standard. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. God wants to come up behind you and put his hand on your shoulder and say, put it in first gear, chief. You're already depending on me more than you know. It is already more my grace than you know. Relax. And let me do what I do. So tonight, I want to give God our pride, which doesn't belong. But I also want to give God that stress we feel, which is just silly and doesn't belong. Because we are so surrounded by God's grace, and he is so trustworthy, that neither one are appropriate. They're both kind of silly. And let's have the light heart and the easygoing step with people that know that if grace is an ocean, man, we are sinking. It was there before there was anything. And if we need more, it's always available. Thank you, guys. Here's your mic.